Hey, everybody. My name is Brad Schmidt, and I'm the Director of Faith and Work here at NCF South Florida. In our previous episode, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. We had the opportunity uh, to hear about a brand new initiative we're launching in the fall called Amplify South Florida. Amplify is a collective of founders, funders, and mentors coming together to grow new businesses for the common good of South Florida. In this particular episode you're about to listen to, you're going to hear me unpack what we call the redemptive frame. You'll hear about the three different types of work that people do in the world, uh, exploitative work, uh, ethical work, and redemptive work. And in doing that, you're going to hear about what makes the particular Christian vision for entrepreneurship unique. So enjoy this episode. I hope you find it encouraging and you find some practical application for your everyday work that God has called you to do. All right. Is this this everybody's first redemptive imagination dinner? She had to call it something very mysterious. You know, you're like, what? You look at the invitation, you go, what What in the world is that? But it worked. We filled up the room tonight in the summer, right? So I guess it worked. Um, here's the place we're going to start. Uh, we would like to say that any person or community or organization goes out into the world to do a certain kind of thing. Uh, that is, everybody goes out with a <clears throat> with a dominant way to approach and interact with the world. And what we're calling that are the three ways to work. And what I'm about to kind of go through is called the redemptive frame. We're, we're partnering with a great organization called Praxis that has really coined this frame well. And uh, we're going to talk about it tonight because this is going to be the underpinnings of Amplify South Florida and the business accelerator that we're starting. So the three ways to work. The first way we would call the exploitive, the exploitative way to work. This is to go out into the world, uh, seeking to take all you can get. This is, uh, to win. This is to go out to control. This is very much a I win, you lose posture. Uh, this is a scarcity mindset that says, uh, take all I can get. And I don't know if you've ever heard this quote from, uh, Ray Kroc. Uh, founder of McDonald's, the guy who came up with the Happy Meal, uh, said these words. <clears throat> he said, if any of my competitors were drowning, I'd stick a hose in their mouth and turn on the water. This is rat eat rat, dog eat dog. You're talking about the American way of survival of the fittest. So <laughs> how's your Happy Meal going, Right. Now, the first thing we can say about the exploitative way is that we are completely aware of it, and we are preoccupied with it, we are surrounded by it, and we're surrounded by people that want to take advantage of us, that um, we're surrounded by broken systems, we're aware of it, and we want to keep our distance from it as much as possible. We want to get away from those people who are trying to take advantage of us. And the first main problem we could say about Uh, this part of the frame is that if we think the exploitive is the thing that wrong people do, so we're the good people, 
Uh, and the exploitive is when um, the wrong people go out into the world and try to do stuff. And the big problem is we end up, um, we end up being the wrong kinds of people. Uh, now, Christians have a narrative that explains this. We are uh, image bearers in a fallen world. Uh, the biblical word is a sinful world. We're the ones that are seeking our own glory, our own fame. We're the ones that are out to serve ourselves, to serve our tribe, to get ahead of those, uh, to take advantage, to get an edge. And so the first thing we could say about the exploitative way is that this is everywhere and we are completely implicated uh, because there is, it's not that it's just out there, it's, it's in here as well. Now, the next thing we could say about the exploitive way is that it's not just personal, but it's also systemic. And I don't use that word to be provocative. It's to say that we're broken image bearers. And when broken image bearers come together to do stuff, uh, to create things, to build systems, to build processes, to build tools and narratives and brands, and if they're exploitive and they're all seeking their own favor, we're going to create those things and those things are going to be tilted towards the exploitive. Because of sin, the, the exploitive way is the human default. Uh, it's the way we all go out into the world every day. And the scariest problem we have to wrestle with is that uh, this, is, this is mostly invisible to us. Uh, we think it's only in other people. Uh, there was a stat that said uh, something like, um, you know, almost everybody thinks that other people are greedy, but nobody thinks of themselves as greedy. And, and that's, that's the problem. It, it, is a, it is a blind spot. We are so good at packaging it as something better. We are so good at twisting things, at packaging the exploitive as something different, something better. So we're going to talk next about what that better thing is. And the second way to go out in the world is this. It's the ethical way. Now, this is better. <laughs> the ethical is better. Fortunately, this is an impulse um, almost all of us have as well. It's, you could say it's just as strong as the sin impulse. It says we don't want to be those bad people who exploit others. Uh, the people who do unethical things, we want to do ethical things. We want to do the right thing. And the motivation for the ethical approach to work is to be good. It's by doing good things. At a minimum, this is a way to go out into the world and do no harm. Fair play. I win, you win, it's fair, we're all good. And at maximum, we would say all these virtues that come along with it, like integrity and excellence and honesty, and out in the work world, we use words like hustle and best practices and figuring out how much we can pursue as much excellence as we possibly can, trying to find that win-win solution. So this is the ethical way. And what we could say about it is it's, it's wonderful, in fact, most all of the progress that we see in the world is basically the triumph of the ethical way over the exploitative way. And theologically, we could say that the ethical exists because of something called common grace. That's this idea that in all of God's image bearers, what God is doing is he's restraining evil. He's giving us the ability to do good, and we, we celebrate that. So as if you're a Christian, you're trying to follow the scriptures, you can't, you can't knowingly exploit. And even though we would say that the 
exploitative is our default, we would say that the ethical is our baseline. Uh, The ethical is the space that if you're doing it right, you're spending most of your time and imagination being as ethical as possible, trying to bring these virtues into the workplace. And hear me say, we celebrate that. It, It is, it's the way the world should be. But there are two problems with the ethical. I mean, what could be wrong with the ethical? There are two problems. First, being um, someone who builds your identity around being ethical makes you exploitative, okay? Because deciding that you are one of the good people and those other ones, they're the bad ones, deciding that you're, um, you're one of those social entrepreneurs and uh, those other ones are those profit-seeking entrepreneurs uh, you're one of, uh, you're a nonprofit leader. You're not like one of those nasty for-profit leaders. Um, or you're one of those people that has a really spotless supply chain. You're not like those people over there that have the gnarly supply chain. And what does it do is it actually makes us self-righteous and tribal, doesn't it? I mean, a little Bible trivia here. Uh, who... <laughs> Who in the Bible was it that eventually colluded to take down Jesus? It was the ethical people. It was the moral people. It was the good, nice, religious people, but they had things twisted. The ethical, if not uh, careful, makes us identify with our own goodness as the key motivation, as the key identification Uh, for our work and for our lives, which just spins us back into a posture where we try to win at all costs. We try to control the wrong people. But again, uh, who are the wrong people? It's us. It's us. So that's the first shortcoming of the ethical approach. Here's the second shortcoming. Uh, In a system that is fallen and has been fallen since the beginning of time, since the Garden of Eden, if our goal is actually to heal, to repair to restore something, the ethical approach typically just isn't enough. It doesn't go far enough. It's not enough to reverse or repair the damage that has been done, that we've done to one another. So what we would say is that our faith gives us the resources to pursue another way, an even even higher way. And we call that the redemptive way. Now, what is the redemptive way? Now, there's a couple things we're going to say about it, but you could sum it up as creative restoration through sacrifice. Now, I'll flesh that out in a second, but the redemptive, got to hear me on this. The redemptive is not a repudiation of the ethical. It's actually everything included in the ethical. It is integrity. It is fairness. It is honesty. It is hard work, but it actually has a different end game. The end game is actually the glory of God. It has a different personhood. It sees people understands them as heart, soul, mind, strength, designed for love. It, it actually has a different authority uh, that we are acting completely underneath God as the primary actor. And it has within it a different motivation, which is to love and to serve God and our neighbor rather than to be good. And so theologically, we would say that this, uh, that if the exploitive way is the natural downstream of the results of sin, working its way out, the pursuit of the ethical is God's common grace on all of society, 
then what we would say is that the redemptive way is a way that is actually empowered by people who are indwelled with God's Holy Spirit that have a very different narrative, a very different story forming their lives, and that's the story of the gospel. So what do we mean by that word redemptive exactly? What is redemptive? Well, most of you know it's uh, an economic term. It means to buy something back. It means to, uh, to settle a debt. Uh, in ancient times, it was uh, definitely an economic term. But it began to be used for non-financial -trans uh, transactions. So <clears throat> we think of slaves being redeemed because somebody bought back their freedom. So the basic idea behind this word redemptive is something or someone is where they shouldn't be in a state that they can't get out of. They are captive and someone else from the outside has to see and has to act and has to move towards them in restoration. So the key idea here uh, of redemptive is restoring something back to the way it was meant to be to its rightful place. That's the goal. And typically, two things are necessary in order to get that restoration. And you can see it right there. One of them is the act of creation. That is, you actually have to make something new. You have to make a new path, a new way. And the other one is you have to sacrifice. You actually have to make something new, and then you have to give something up in order for restoration to take place. And typically... If you're a person of faith, of Christian faith, you would say that this typically is associated with the work of Jesus who accomplished the ultimate act of redemption, went to a cross, saw us in a broken relationship with God, and he actually did something. He created a new way. Uh, it came at great cost to himself, great sacrifice. And so here's what we can say about this. All of those circles, the three ways to work, the exploitative, the ethical, the redemptive, those are the three ways to work. And now, this is where it starts to get practical here. Now, onto those axes that are super, we're going to superimpose on them, um, three dimensions of an organization's life. And those three dimensions are strategy. Every organization has strategy. Uh, every organization has operations. And every organization has leadership development. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this frame, those three circles there, and overlay them on the organization's life. And so the first dimension is what we call strategy. This is that vertical y-axis. It's, it's what we build. It's everything we offer to the world that tries to create value and impact. It's products and services, programs, offerings, brands, and narratives, that strategy. It's offering something to the world that we hope will have some kind, some kind of impact. And when we think about strategy, we're not just thinking about something Nelson mentioned, which is product market uh, fit, how to find an audience and create a strategy around that. We will do that. But in light of the redemptive frame, we're also asking, what is the cultural impact of what we're doing? What is the end of it all? What is happening as a result of our work in the world? All Think about it. All ventures have an impact in the world on their customers, on their families, on, their, on the narratives of the culture, the beliefs, on the experiences, 
on the sadness, on the delight, on the understanding people have of the good life. Every venture that sends anything out into the world is trying to bend those things somehow. All of those things have some kind of impact, and we're going to look at that impact and ask the question, how redemptive is it? So the way the model works is you see the stages that explain the three circles. There is a way to think about cultural impact in an exploitive way, which is to leverage culture, basically to say, uh, what is happening in the world and how do I make as much money as possible from it? That's the basic impulse uh, many venture building communities have in the world. Then the ethical might say, no, 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 no. I actually want to advance culture. I want to make it better. Uh, I want to create positive impact. And we would say, yes, absolutely. But as redemptive entrepreneurs, we want to find ways to do that. So what is the extra layer that is the redemptive, and here it is. The redemptive strategy is building things that actually renew culture to make it more as it was meant to be, to make part of the world more like the kingdom of God, more faithful, more beautiful, more virtuous, just, trustworthy, humanizing. What is our intent for that through the products and services that we were putting out into the world? What we'd say is that the products and services, if you create them in this room, um, that is the way that you love your neighbor you don't know yet. So if we are to love our neighbor as we're supposed to, uh, and we're supposed to do that as we work, then our products and our services are the way ventures do that. So that's the, the first dimension is strategies. Then you come to uh, operations. This is how we build things. This is all things you need to put together to create an organization. So you got your culture, you got your team, your business model, financing, processes, systems, basically all the things that make strategy even possible. And the question is not just how do we figure out how to make something scalable and effective, though that's important and essential, but we're also thinking about in the redemptive frame, what is the people impact? What's the people impact? What happens to the people and the partners we have based on the operating model we have? See, the exploitative script is to use people, to burn people up in the service of an organization or a leadership objective. And I just got to say, this is especially dangerous in um, mission-ambitious organizations, not uh, just uh, for-profit ambitious organizations, meaning some of the most burnout uh, tired, redlining employees I've ever met. You know where they work? Churches. <laughs> now, but hey, we're doing it all for Jesus, <laughs> you know? But they're tired. Their marriages are falling apart. Their, their family life is not in order. Um, it's that we use people and we spit them out. The ethical approach is to say, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We actually do want to respect people. We want to treat them well so that they can serve well, operate well. So honestly, so they can in turn stick around a long time with us so we could build uh, something in this organization together. And we should be figuring that out, absolutely. But what is the redemptive edge of operations? It's actually going further. It's saying that the goal is not just to respect people so that they stay in the organization longer, but it is to bless people, to view them as full image bearers uh, above and beyond our organizational goals. It's asking how do these virtues of generosity and justice, grace and patience, how do we do that? And we would say that this is how we love our neighbor that we do know. 
It's through the way that you actually run your organization. It's how we put these pieces together. And the third, organi- the third dimension, final dimension of work is the most important. It's the leadership access. This is why we build. It's important, especially in entrepreneurship, because in the beginning, think about it. Everything that happens in strategy and operations, it's all from the imagination of the founder. So it's all in there. In the very beginning, the founders have complete agency over their very small domain, but they have complete agency. So all the strategies, operations are coming out of, think about the imagination of the founder, the motives, the ambitions, the character, the practices, the worldview. And so the leader's understanding of success is going to get manifested up into the strategies and the operations And what we're looking at here is what is their definition of success? So if living for for yourself, if that's the exploitive definition of of success, you could say that improving yourself is the ethical definition of success. We don't want to live for self. We want to do things better. We want to improve things, and we should do that. Um, So what is the redemptive edge of operations? And here it is. It's this piece called dying to yourself. And how do we improve as leaders, make ourselves better, all the while dying to our ambition, dying to our own will, dying to our own need to be in complete control of everything? How do we get rewired at a deep level so our ambition is surrendered to God, so that our imagination is changed and we're more restful, more accountable, more connected, and we spend our resources, including our power, on behalf of other people. Where in the world do you think this comes from? This actually comes from and is a response to the work of Jesus. This is where the redemptive way comes from. It's how we live out the love that is ours by grace. So let's bring this together and just land it. We would say that uh, the exploitative way is to use the world in that inner ring. If I, as an entrepreneur, go into the venture with a script to live for myself, I'm very naturally going to leverage culture. I'm going to use people to do it. And that vicious cycle just spins forever. If you leave it unchecked, that's the exploitative way. The ethical way uh, would be a rejection of that. Think of it this way. The ethical is the exploitative rejected. The ethical way isn't to use the world, it's to help the world. And if we come in with a script to improve ourselves, you can see very naturally we're going to have a model of trying to advance the culture, trying to respect people as you do it. And then there's the redemptive way that comes along, which is to love the world, which leaves none of the ethical behind, (laughs) none of it behind. But it is about dying to self, blessing people, renewing culture. If we were to say that the ethical way is the exploitive rejected, we would say that the redemptive is the ethical perfected. Uh, we might say that the ethical is the, um, if you're familiar with the scriptures, the ethical would be the, you have heard it said of the law, but the redemptive is the, but I say unto you, of the gospel, which negates none of the law. So in addition to having a strategy that finds product market fit, the redemptive venture is one that is scaling culture, renewing, scaling people blessing, as well as other things out of a posture of sacrificial leadership. So we've talked about what redemption is. We've talked about creative redemption through sacrifice. 
And we've talked about what a redemptive organization is. We've looked at the three dimensions of work. We've looked at, um, at strategy. We've looked at uh, operations. We've looked at leadership. But what I wanted to do now is actually turn the mic over. And what I've asked are two venture builders to come and share with you about their organizations. These are organizations that have been formed by this redemptive frame. And they have done amazing things. They've done absolute amazing things. So you're going to get to know them because what I didn't want to do is do this little talk here, give you some theory about redemptive leadership, and then have you leave going, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean on the ground? What does it actually look like? What I wanted to do is to share, share with you, teasing this out into the everyday practices of a venture is what Amplify South Florida is going to be all about. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. We hope that you found some value from it. In the next episode, you're not going to want to miss it because after we just talked about the redemptive frame, we're going to take that and give you an imagination for what that could look like in your business as we get to hear from two incredible founders about how they have taken the redemptive frame and put it into practice into their incredible organizations. So join us for that in the next episode. And if you want to learn more about Amplify South Florida, you can reach out to me directly at bschmidt at ncfgiving.com. And if you want to learn more about the NCF South Florida family, you can visit us online at ncfgiving.com forward slash South Florida.